Well, hello, lovelies. This is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And as always, I'm here to do my weekly Curvy Geeky Fangirl recaps, where I recap all the cool things I watched throughout the week, or maybe read, depending on how much time I had, because I'm an adult who is a professional adulter. So there's a lot. Oh, no, that sounded terrible. Like I do, like I cheat on people. No, I meant adulting, like grown up things. I do professionally do grown up things. Also sounds a little dirty. You know what? Just. Go with me on it in a clean sense. So basically, I recap TV shows, books, or anything else geeky-wise that I've read just to express my opinions and to hear from y'all, to hear how everything is going. And as always, you can find me, the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, on my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. I have a whole website devoted to stylings I do that are inspired by geekiness. So if we're um, right now, I'm working on something for fanbros.com that I also collaborate with often. Uh, somebody from the Fanbros fam, Dominic, out there, shout out to you. He uh, basically wrote up an article, an amazing article about how they're. I believe it's Adidas or Reebok. I honest, as you can see, I read it very heavily and focused a lot. But a, a shoe line is trying to come out based around Dragon Ball Z, and he hinted in there that you know maybe if I had some time, I could put out an outfit or two. So I'm currently working out on that. You can definitely look forward to seeing that before the end of this week. It should come out on Fashion Fridays for Fanbros.com. So you should see that coming up. Uh, otherwise, I'm everywhere else. I'm on Anchor app. I'm on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Pocket Cast. So last week, I went over the magicians, legends of tomorrow, The Tick, Why Yugi, and You're My Pet. The last two are Asian dramas, and I gave my complete feels on everything on the previous episode of Magicians, the previous episode of Legends of Tomorrow, the back end of The Tick, and everything else. So if you want to learn more about those previous episodes, if you just want to ca catch up and like a quick refresh on what was going on in those episodes, check it out. It's posted on my iTunes and everywhere else, like I just said. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to get started and get right into it right after this. All right, so diving right into Legends of Tomorrow. What, what, what's happening with, what's happening with Legends of Tomorrow? Okay, if, if you've been watching the show, and hopefully you watched it, because I'm jumping into major spoilers, major spoilers for everything. If you don't know by now, I go right into spoilers. So hopefully you have watched all of the shows that I've been talking about before listening to the podcast so that I'm not ruining anything for you. Heads up, heads up, heads up. That being said, what is going on with Legends of Tomorrow? So we kick it off, and uh, we're getting a pirate theme, guys. A huge, huge Amount of pirates, and not just any pirates. Apparently, we're getting Blackbeard and some other local legends. It's just—it's very crazy. Is what I don't—I I just okay. So here we go. Start from the beginning. So with this particular episode, the first thing I really want to talk about is uh, Amaya becoming the pirate queen Jiwei. So there—that was the thing that happened. It started out pretty cutely like Mick knew Amaya was kind of going through it she's dealing with a lot of stuff between you know all of these responsibilities she has to her her people to her, you know where she's from but also she's got this life and this love happening in present time and those things can't coexist if she's gonna help out her family the way she wants to so she's in a bit of a of a situation, unfortunately. And honestly, I still think Mick, rather than Nick, or Nate, I keep calling him Nick, his, Nick, his name is not Nick, it's Nate. So I still think Mick, rather than Nate, should be the one that's with Amaya, but whatever. So Mick is like, oh, you know, to boost her self-esteem up, what, let's make her the pirate queen. And they, him and the other guys, Ray and Nate, start making up all these factoids about her and how she should be feared and revered and whatnot. This catches the attention of Blackbeard. Blackbeard was crazy distracting uh, for me because the, the actor that plays him, I recognized him from a very sappy romance movie, which 
if you know by now, that's definitely up my alley. I love the corniness of a good romance movie. Back in the day, Harlequin books. Harlequin is a known label, known brand for creating romance paperbacks. Like, yeah, yeah. They were, they were like a huge thing in the 80s and 90s. Like people were collecting these things like they were gold. They did a film, a book to film conversion, like straight to DVD. There's like a box set of, I want to say 12 of them. And one of them is a movie called Diamond Girl. And the lead actor in that, the lead male love interest for that movie is the same guy who's playing Blackbeard. So the whole time I'm watching him, I'm just replaying that movie in my head. It was mad distracting for me. I'm probably the only one who's ever seen Diamond Girl, but if you've ever been late, up, up late watching Lifetime movies, or back in the day it was Wii TV before they started doing all their prison stuff and like Bridezilla's, used to show romance movies back to back to back. He was on it and I just, I couldn't get over that and respect him as a pirate. Also he's on Legends, which is just Camp Factory times a thousand. It was, a, it was much, it was a bit much. I mean, he did his job. His job was to get in there, uh, kind of instigate some stuff and then get shuffled back. And that was pretty much it. So, I mean, it, it, it ran its course. I couldn't figure out if Amaya's English accent when she became pirate queen was a real one or not. So if you know if that's supposed to be a real accent or if she was portraying one, let me know. Cause that, that also was, was something that I was thinking about a lot. Moving on to Sarah. Sarah's on a date with Agent Sharp. Finally, she's finally in that. So they're at this, uh, you know, this dinner and they are adorably awkward and they keep getting distractions kind of thrown at them. Uh, we've got Sarah's phone going off. We've got Agent Sharp kind of being pulled away to the bathroom by a fellow agent. Uh, basically about the, about similar things. Um, Right now, there is a situation happening. Well, not right now, but for the show. There's a situation happening where uh, there, there's disruptions. Rip is out, and uh, one of the agents kind of got ransacked by a speedster. He, his phone was taken from him, and his time manipulator was also taken. And on Sarah's end, you know, they're in the Bermuda Triangle. They took the ship. And she's like, great, here we go. Sarah ends up bailing, which, and she totally stands up, Agent Sharp, in the midst of all of this. And then this culminates later when they both meet back up on the ship. And Agent Sharp is like, I can't believe you did that to me during dinner. And I was completely on her side. Like, Sarah didn't leave a note, didn't explain anything. They're both in time management, literally. I think she'd understand what was happening. So they go kind of back and forth, back and forth. And then they both realize, like, as great as the date could have been, it really kind of was a fallacy because they're both faking to pretend they were normal and they're not normal. So it's better just to start with everything out in the open. So they do and then they make out, which I think was a long time coming. They've had crazy chemistry since like the get of the show. So I'm glad to see that it finally culminated into something positive for both of them. Here's hoping it lasts, fingers crossed. So Agent Sharp and Sarah, finally seem to be together. Ray, on the other hand, is an idiot. He's still my favorite. He's still an adorable, adorable hero, but a heroic idiot nonetheless. A, he finally got his anti-magic gun to work, so that was fantastic. But then he goes ahead and B, decides uh, that after using it against Nora Dark and actually stopping her from, you know, affecting the legends even more, feels bad about it because he's Roy. So he goes back and finds a cure to the serum, I guess serum or laser or whatever he shot her with, basically to counteract whatever is going, the reaction to she, that she's having to what he shot her with. And it works. And then he's immediately betrayed by the darks because of course he would be Ray. So now he's a hostage. Prob I really hope they don't kill him off, but at this point I can kind of see why they would. So here's hoping, fingers crossed, that Ray makes it out okay because he's crazy and stupid. Anyway, so that's happening. And then we also got a Kid Flash and a Rip Hunter team up. This was my favorite of the show. We finally see that Rip Hunter clearly was trying to get Kid Flash to work with him so that he A, 
can go after what he really wants to do, which is try and stop Mollus. And also get away from the time management group that he created because they've, you know, they've been imprisoning him for a little bit. All of those things are happening. Uh, at first, Wally's like, no, I'm all about this uh, serene thing I'm doing. I'm meditating. I'm trying to find my inner chi. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to figure out things for me. Uh, Rip is like, well, let's get drunk <laughs> because why not? Let's get drunk and get these answers a lot faster. They get drunk. They karaoke as one does. They sang Careless Whisper beautifully, by the way. They were they were great as a duet. And Careless Whisper is an amazing song. Let's not lie. George Michael version, any of the other versions after that, they're all fantastic because this song is amazing. So I really, really love that we got like them just being silly and having fun. And I'm interested to see if Wally's gonna stick around for the finale. So uh, it's been very heavily hinted that Wally might be joining the Legends. So I'm hoping we get to see all that go down. Legends of Tomorrow's finale is actually March 19th, so it's not that far away. So I'm hoping we get back-to-back episodes, but we're probably gonna have a break before the finale at some point, and then bam, finale. So it'll be interesting to see. But basically that's what happened. Sarah and Agent Sharp went on a date. Amaya became Pirate Queen. Uh, Ray got kidnapped because he's dumb. And and yeah, that's pretty much it. So now we're back to what they're going to do, what they're going to figure out. Oh, and the big thing that I'm missing is that Amaya lost her necklace. So she no longer has her totem, uh, which, you know, gives her access to the animal's spirit so she can use that for her fighting. Uh, They originally became pirates and went after all of this and got introduced to Blackbeard because they found another totem. It was an earth totem that was out there near the Bermuda Triangle area. And it already laid claim to one person who apparently was just really dark and evil inside. So when she got her totem, she literally became the essence of dark and evil, I guess. I was trying to kill everybody with vines. It was very interesting. A little Poison Ivy-esque, but without all of like the vegan quality. So instead, I want to say break free of that. A, Dark got Amaya's spirit totem. He's, he manages to snap that from her neck because they get them in a position where they can't move again. But they manage to get back the earth totem. So I'm I'm kind of wondering if Amaya's going to take that totem now or after she's bonded with the spirit totem, can she not also bond with this other totem? Or what are they doing with that? And how's this going to play out for her future? Like, more questions. But yeah, that was pretty much it for Legends of Tomorrow. Dating, new totem, Losing a totem, losing Ray because he's an idiot. Flash and, or Kid Flash and Rip Hunter team up, some karaoke. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't the greatest, but it wasn't too bad. So I'm still interested in seeing the rest of these episodes. The series are pretty short with Legends of Tomorrow. So here's hoping that we, we get a pretty decent finale. And apparently Constantine's coming back for the finale. We'll see, we'll see how everything goes. And we'll be moving on into The Flash right after this. All right, moving on into The Flash. So Flash came back after their real quick break. And thankfully, I think it was only like a week before we got into the next thing. Uh, and they jumped right on in, two feet first. So DeVoe is definitely back at it. He's in his new body. He's in Becky Sharp's body, AKA Lady Luck. Uh, he had just taken it over from the last episode. Um, but it's faulty. It's it's a smaller body. He's amassed a lot more ability and power. And it's kind of draining the resources on this poor little body. So he needs to find another body. So he finds out, along with Team Flash, that there there's another meta uh, that he created on that bus. And we get introduced to uh, somebody called Izzy Bowen. Izzy Bowen is a country singer. And she's, she's a good one, to be honest. Like, when the music kicks off, and immediately Digby's like, ugh, no because he's Digby but so a big, a big he's just he's he's just Digby so uh we've seen that she is an aspiring country singer she's trying to make it big she can play the violin aka the fiddle and she is singing her heart out and like doing a full-on coyote ugly in this little country bar then we meet her uh, it's up to Barry and Digby to kind of get her back and honestly I don't blame her for being like no thank you please leave right now it's two guys who are like, you need to come with us immediately. You're in danger. Somebody's after you. All right, let's go. Like, I have a thousand questions. 
no. So, so she's like, no. And she basically uses her ability. We find out it's like some kind of sonic, by sonic movement that comes out of her body uh, that she's able to manipulate. And so she uses it on them to get away because she's like, these crazies are here. I don't know what's going on. They managed to uh, catch her again in like a parking lot, I want to say. And she's like, you crazies are back here again. Like, what's going on? And DeVoe shows up and, she, and you know, and the Becky Sharp about it with her cute little squeaky voice. And she's just like, ha, I've got you. Like, I'm finally here to capture you all. Because why not? Uh, and then Irene, or I'm sorry, Irene, Izzy uses her ability and it actually hurts DeVoe. And Barry's just like, oh, we have to keep her because nothing up to this point has worked against DeVoe. So uh, she's quickly taken back to Flash headquarters. You know, they unveil their secret identities because, oh yeah, because why not? Because like the second round of trying to get her, they also had to get Cisco and like, it was a whole thing. And so now she knows all of Team Flash's identities because why not? And she's still like, I don't know. <laughs> because they're still kind of throwing a lot at her at one time. And she was able to take care of DeVoe by herself without them. So I get her reasoning as to, I don't need y'all. That's when we get our cute little Digby and Izzy moment. He is really feeling her after all of this. I'm not sure why, like it was definitely forced. They just kind of threw it in there that they were going to be romantic interests, but the chemistry was kind of there for them. So I was like, all right, I will just suspend disbelief and follow along with this. Digby manages to talk her into staying with Team Flesh so that they can figure out what's going on, help her with her ability, and hopefully stop DeVoe. And she's like, okay, I'll give it a try. She comes back and uh, Barry turns back into being evil Barry again and just pushes her far too hard to the point that she gets frustrated and leaves. And of course, that's when DeVoe comes back and tries to corner her, successfully corners her. Digby and Barry try to get back and get to her in time and try to save her. Doesn't work ultimately. DeVoe takes over. It's a wrap. I don't know why we got Barry going through his dark feelings again. I guess, I guess they're trying to show how like first, you know, beginning of the episode, he thinks that now that he's been, you know, released from prison term, he can just go right back to how things were. And that's not the case. The precinct's like, we don't know if we can try really trust you. It was an interesting turn because up we're in like what season three, season four right now of The Flash. And so up until now, with everything crazy that's been happening in this world, there hasn't really been a lot of reaction from the community around him at all. Like there's not like this no meta coalition happening. None of that's happening, at least that we get to see right away. So it for me, it was believable that public opinion would turn, especially when you have a mayor who's like, we can't trust him. He can't come back. So most people in the precinct are like, he's probably part of a deeper plan or he may not even be the real Barry or who knows what's going on. And they're just hesitant. They're hesitant to have him back right away. So he's on like definitive leave. And I guess they're trying to tell us that him being uh, a crime scene investigator is part of his identity as Barry. But I'm going to call BS because the Flash takes a lot of his time. So if anything, I don't, I, it just gives him more time. And in the end, we get Digby and Barry cute moment where they kind of come together. Barry's trying to console him up after the loss of Izzy, who he's known all of two seconds. And Digby consoles him by saying, hey, you know, there's still life after the force and we can do this private investiga investigative thing as well. So. Try not to sweat it, but we got a lot of Barry feelings for some reason. And and yeah, that was that was pretty much it. DeVoe had a plan. DeVoe succeeded in his plan. Kind of got Izzy really, really fast. We barely really got to know Izzy. We got a forced little love thing between Digby and Izzy. Although I'm not going to lie, I did have a little bit of feels when DeVoe captures Izzy and he's telling Izzy to stare, look at him like, he knows he can't do anything else. He can't reach her. He can't save her. She's clearly freaking out. And he's like, look at me. I need you to look at me. Yeah, I did. I got, I got, whew, I got some feelings there. But alas, not to be for poor Izzy. She's now taken over by DeVoe completely. I don't know if this means that the person that inhabited that body, the essence of that person is gone totally. Are they dead? We don't see them ever come back. It didn't happen with the, the poor telepathic dude. 
he first grabbed. Uh, we see Becky Sharp's body just kind of slumped, so I don't know if he's, he takes it away with him, but I don't know if he's like destroying these bodies afterwards. So for all intents and purposes right now, once he, gra once he takes it over, that's pretty much the end. That's the wrap for whoever is in that body. And that's how they ended it. So they're now looking for the other metas. There's three whole metas left. Uh, that's not including Digby, who Devoe didn't get and who he's probably still after. And yeah, that's it. We, m most of Team Flash was just on, on the back burner. I don't know why they're not just gonna go ahead and try to like, uh, just team up against him, just like get everybody together and go full force on him. But whatever, I'll probably save that for the finale. And we'll see what else is gonna go on with that. But yeah, it's still still not too bad. And after this, we'll go ahead and switch it on over to Black Lightning. All right, jumping into Black Lightning. Black Lightning also came back from their little brief hiatus. I still don't know why they had a brief hiatus. They just made it onto the scene mid-season. I don't know why we need to take a week off, but whatever, they did. So they're now back and we're kind of picking up where they left. I love this show so much for me it's still a standout show amongst a lot of the really great stuff that's out for dc tv for me probably because it relates i relate to it on a multitude of levels but you know whatever here we go so black lightning i am so proud that they are regularly serving you social awareness tea on a very regular basis like they immediately jumped into a protest against a statue in one of the parks in freeland Freedom Land, that's what it's called. Freeland? Freedom Land? One of those. And it clearly was a, sh a shout out to or a reference to what was going on around Charlottesville, Virginia at the time. In case you did not know, there was a whole thing where people were uh, petitioning and basically trying to get Confederate statues removed. Uh, you know, they, they felt that it was celebrating people that weren't necessarily the kind of historical proponent that the, they once were claiming to be. Does that make sense? Was that vague enough? Basically, you know, they were celebrating people who openly rebelled against the United States, openly. So they brought that discussion into the show, which is, they're not, they don't shy away from it. They've been doing it since the show came on. And, and they talked about it. We see Anissa right there in the forefront using a, a water gun filled with paint and looking very much like an automatic weapon to paint this, this statue. They don't say confederacy, confederacy statue at all. They just say the statue of a traitor. But we know what it's referring to. Not only that, they then show how like there is a, a rise by these other counter protesters who feel like they, the statue needs to stay which relates to the men's march that happened on Charlottesville with the Tiki torches. And they even show like in a news bit that they catch towards, I'm gonna say towards the middle of the episode, how like that protest then led to a murder. One of the cars ran over one of the protesters for the statue and ended up killing a woman, which again related to the Charlottesville tragic event that happened as well. And they put this all in black lightning I know some people are gonna feel a kind of way or feel that like it's too on the nose, but I really like it when they do this. Cause then you also get to see the perspective from Jefferson and Anissa, like how, how they see these things going. And immediately we get Jefferson talking to Anissa about how she needs to be careful. Like, yes, he understands, you know, where she's coming from. And, and he's proud that she's, she's making these kind of decisions for herself as to, you know, whether she's gonna stand for something or not, but she has to be careful because she's a black woman in this in in the world. She's a black woman in the world. And unfortunately, more often than not, especially when police are involved, they are more likely to judge you on your color than to judge you on your actual humanity. And he says that in the show. And I just I just really love that they put that into the show as like in the forefront, like you're gonna see it. And then they also put everything else around it. They're really great at adding the black perspective into things and explaining it in a way that everyone can understand. So I've just, I wanna applaud the show for doing an amazing job with that. With that being said, we then jump into Gamby's 
actions. Oh, what is he? Is he a spy? So apparently Gambi has a whole history with the darker elements happening in Freeland. Or is it Freeland? One of the two. He knows Tobias. We know he knows Tobias from a previous episode. They had a full-on conversation about life at the agency, I think, or the organization or something of that nature. And then he's talking to Jill Scott's character, who I don't, I will, I don't know her name. Lady, lady something. But we know she's a leader. She's a leader in all of the criminal activity that's happening there. And he knows her on a first name basis. And apparently he was a mentor to her when they were both at the agency. And again, whatever this thing is, is it a government organization? Was it a separate spy co-op situation? Like what's, what's the deal? And he's always packing a gun. Like he's, he's always like letting them know, look, you're not gonna run up on me. I have something as well. I, I just, I, and why doesn't Jefferson know that this was, because it's pretty clear Jefferson has no idea that Gamby was a part of this world at all. So I just, I have, a, I have a lot of questions and hopefully you get some answers. Will there be a warrior shout out? So in case you did not know, the actor who plays Gamby was in a classic film called The Warriors. It used to be referenced a lot by like, oh, what is his name now? Is it not, is it still Puff Daddy? Is it P Diddy Lion or Brother Love? Whoever that is, you guys know who I'm talking about, Puffy. It used to be all over the place. Uh, this dude, everybody knows the clinking noise. Warriors come out to play, all of that. Are we gonna get a shout out like that at some point? Seeing as he is a, as one of the cast members from that original movie? Fingers crossed, fingers crossed that at some point, Tobias, hopefully Tobias sells him to come out and play. I would, I'd love it. I'd love it if that happened. We also get a little hint here that Lieutenant Henderson uh, over there at the police side of things might finally know who the mole is in his department. Because honestly, un for, unfortunately, the police department in this place, is they're, they're losing. They're losing more than they're winning, unfortunately. They're after Black Lightning because they see him as a vigilante. And, and technically, by law, he can't just pick up the mantle and start doing stuff. But they're also like really not helping the citizens out at all. And, there's, and they're known to be corrupt. Like they know, the citizens know that the, a lot of the people in the force are corrupt because so much craziness is happening in their, their town. And poor Lieutenant Henderson kind of is stuck between a rock and a hard place because he wants to be a good cop. He also wants to make sure his people are safe. And right now, it's, it's not, he's not finding a way to do that and balance everything. So they get, uh, the chief tells them they've got a tip that Black Lightning is in a certain location and he sends out everybody to go get him. Thankfully, Jefferson gets away, thanks to Gamby. But when they get back and Lieutenant Henderson talks with the chief, he's like, yeah, you know, he's got a lot of supporters. They're not saying anything. Something the chief says, or maybe the way the chief acts about things makes him question how the chief knew about this tip in the first place. He's like, where, where did you hear this? And the chief is like, I just did, okay. And they, they move on to the next thing and we don't see him ever again. But we get that little moment where he like second guesses what's going on. He has that little moment of doubt that he, everything's on the level in regards to what he's hearing from the chief. So hopefully that pans out into something because he seems like a really good guy and I'd really like it if we could count him as an ally and not as an antagonist. So fingers crossed that we can with Lieutenant Henderson. Uh, Anissa and Lynn also got a little bit of time to shine in this episode. Lynn especially kind of surprised me because right up until this moment, I was not a fan of Lynn. I did not understand why she wanted so badly for Jefferson to stop being Black Lightning and why she was such a, so against it, except in like the case of when their daughters got kidnapped and she was like, oh no, be him. I was like, you're a hypocrite this whole time. But they did a really good job of painting the physical setbacks that happen when Jefferson takes up the mantle of Black Lightning. And it is terrifying. It's terrifying. This is a man she loves. This is a man she had children with. This is a man that she is hoping to reconnect and grow old with. And he really is tearing himself apart being Black Lightning. Like he's fully unconscious when she gets to see him that first time in the episode. And she's running scans and waiting for him to come back. Cause he does have a, a faster healing system than everybody else, but it's not like a mortal fast. So it's not gonna be instantaneous. And she knows that even though it's repairing itself right now, it's definitely repairing at a slower speed. And who knows when the damage he receives is gonna be permanent and not be repairable at all again. 
So I, I thought they did a really good job with, at least for me, really showing us why Lynn is so against him doing this all the time. It made a lot of sense. And we had a little hint that she might be onto something in regards to the new drug that's out in this little town. It seems to have a similar neurological effect that Jefferson's powers have for him as well. Like she's looking at the brain scans and seeing like the, the how they basically kind of match each other. So we're getting hints about that too. Uh, and then with Anissa, she is trying to get even more information about the findings she found, her grandfather's findings for the article he was trying to write. And she can't read half of it because it's all in like science, bio, you know, biological language. No idea. She takes it to mom to get some answers. Mom being the fantastic mom that she is, is like, I'm going to help you. Uh, I would love to know why you want my help for this. But I understand you're going to tell me at your own pace. You know, I'm not going to force you because it's just going to make you shut down. And in, thankfully, Anissa's like, okay, you know what I am? I'm going to tell you what's going on. She dresses up in her fan. This outfit is fantastic, but I know they're going to have to change it because it's, it's also a little loud, girl. But, you know, it's so cute. It's still cute. Do you, girl? Anissa dresses up in her full outfit to go and do something about the statue that we mentioned in the early part of the episode. And she decides to break it. So she takes her breath and she stomps and it does exactly what it was supposed to do. It breaks the statue. I don't think she thought it was going to burst into smithereens and then become Sharpenel for people standing around. She's not really good at the thinking about the consequences of things. She just is really good at doing the action. So I think it, it, I think it shook her a little bit to see the chaos that it caused afterwards. And enough for her to be like, okay, now I need to tell somebody. I'm going to tell my mom what's going on. Full costume, guys. She just she calls up her mom, says, hey, you know, I'm going to let you know what's going on. I'm going to come by later. Are you free? She's like, yeah, come on down to the lab. For some reason, at that same time, criminal activity has found out that Lynn is doing research on how their drug reacts with their users. And they need to stop it. So they go to hassle her and get her research. And that's around the time Anissa shows up. So we get to see Anissa in full superhero mode in the full latex outfit, save her mom, doing big things. Lynn recognizes that this is Anissa, but around the same time that Anissa manages to take care of all these bad guys, Black Lightning shows up. And he's in full panic mode because he knows Lynn is in trouble because they were on the phone with each other right as she was being attacked. So he's just like, I gotta stop. Who's ever coming after her? And he just sees a stranger kind of hovered over a tied up Lynn. Up to that point, because Anissa's back is turned to him, I gave it to the show. I was like, all right, show, I believe it. I could see why he wouldn't know who that was. But as soon as she turns around, he's still like, I gotta beat you. And he starts, they start physically fighting each other. And for whatever reason, they can't tell that they're, they can't tell who they are. A, this doesn't have a full face mask. She's just wearing some fabulous eye makeup. That's it. And a wig. It's still her full face. And in Jefferson's case, he just has some sunglasses on. Like, it's just, just it's, again, not a full mask. Sunglasses. But for whatever reason, we're supposed to suspend disbelief and, and believe that these two people who have lived with each other for Anissa her whole life don't, can't recognize each other because they're in superhero outfits. Sure. Black Lightning and Anissa get into it. They start fighting. Anissa almost wins. She gets a little bit of an upper hand, but ultimately Black Lightning wins. And I think we're supposed to believe that it's because A, he's a lot bigger than her. And also B, he's way more experienced in fighting and he manages to take her down. But then he also realizes, oh crap, this is my daughter. And poor Lynn, who had been tied to the chair this whole time, has been trying to get his attention. And is just like, stop, it's your daughter. Oh my God, we're gonna die. So... They load her up, I wanna say in Gamby's van. I wanna say it's Gamby's van. They take her back home. And that's how we end the episode. Anissa wakes up from her, her beat down, sees her mom, turns around and sees Jefferson without his sunglasses, but in full black lightning suit. So secrets out, finally, between the two. Maybe we'll finally get black lightning and thunder as a team up. Here's hoping. I know they're going to go do the back and forth about how it's not safe and whatnot and blah, 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 blah. But eventually I'm hoping for this team up. And I'm hoping this also means that Jennifer's powers are going to come to fruition as well. So from what I've heard, she also has an aspect of lightning powers too. So 
Here's hoping we get Team Family Lightning happening at some point soon rather than later because we were getting to that point where we're going to start hitting finales, season finales, hopefully not series finales. I'm not would like this summed up a lot faster than it's moving right now, but here's hoping. So stick around. We're going to talk about the magicians right after this. All right, so we are moving on to The Magicians, and The Magicians this week didn't disappoint. So the last week or the previous episode, if you listened to my my podcast last time, I talked about how The Magicians seemed seemed to be treading water a little bit. It was kind of, it usually doesn't feel like a filler episode, but last week it felt like a filler episode. But this week it kind of picked up the pace a bit more, so I was was glad for that. So I'm going to, they basically made it like six short stories. Again, okay, I, I got where they were trying to go with that. Like, oh, we're going to tell the story through these several different perspectives. Except they already do that on a regular basis. They tell it through several different perspectives. So maybe because it's more perspectives than we normally get. We don't usually get six people's perspectives. It's usually like Elliot and then it's also Ty Margo's. And then we'll get like a team up of like Quentin and somebody. And then we'll get another team up of like Julia and somebody. But it's, it's usually still told through a bunch of different perspectives. So I'm not sure why they did that other than to tie into the overall theme of the episode, which was that about books and libraries. So that's probably what was happening there. I guess they were trying to be clever. I just was like, I don't, I don't understand why we're doing this. But it kicked off with Penny. So Penny has made it to the underworld. He is there to get a key. He's trying to get a key from Benedict. Benedict recently passed, unfortunately. He got eaten by a dragon. This poor map maker, whose name I finally remember. Thank you. Um, So that's what he's trying to do. So he gets to there, and he's immediately, well, not immediately. So he actually makes it through the library and makes it out into like, I guess, the, a camping field. They've kind of run out of space. There's no magic in the world anymore. So if they have a temporary holding ground right outside the library, and it's a bunch of tents. And he kind of meets up with whoever the security is for this. And he's like, I'm trying to find somebody. Can you help me out? And this guy's like, Ali can help you out if you make it worth my while. And Penny's like, what the hell do I bribe you with? Because we are all dead. Do you need, is it money? Do we do money? And he's like, no, something much more valuable than money. And it turns out to be Game of Thrones spoilers. Clearly, Penny doesn't watch Game of Thrones because he has no idea what he's talking about. But he knows he's just going to make it sound a little convincing so he can get what he wants. So he's just making stuff up at the top of the hat and like trying to like sway by these questions that they're asking him. And it works. It works. So the, the little security guard is apparently content with what little information Penny actually gave him. Shows him to Benedict. Benedict is just excited to see Penny. He's like, oh my gosh, a friend, finally. And Penny's like, okay, where's the key, Benedict? And then he kind of gets put on a goose chase. Benedict tells him he it was taken, like as soon as he had it by the librarians. And he doesn't know where it is. And so Penny's like, all right, well, okay, so stay put. I need to go find this key. I will come back and, and talk to you at a later time. Fully not meaning that. And he goes back to the library where we run into Sylvia. Sylvia is from, was she even, I think the previous season? She's a young girl. Is she also a traveler? You know, I don't really remember a whole lot about Sylvia. I just remember she was like this really annoying girl that he had to watch for some reason, who then got stuck and poisoned in like a, a library security hold for something because she was trying to get information she wasn't supposed to be getting in the first place. And then she died. And that's really all I remember about Sylvia. So she shows up because she's dead and they're in the underworld. And she's like, well, I'm here to help you out because in your book, it says that I help you out. And that had been her shtick. Like she'd been reading people's books this whole time when she was alive. So it makes sense. She'd continue to do that while she's dead. She's now working for the library forever. So Penny follows her to a room labeled Cassandra. And we get a little lore. So they basically have a character called Cassandra uh, based off of the Greek mythology, which is a whole thing about how this woman uh, not even fell in love with a god. Like a god decided he was going to fall in love with her. And then when she didn't return the feelings back, he curses her. So she's able to see the future for everybody. But no one believes her at all. And they were like, well, we can make her write books for us. That sounds like a thing. So apparently that's what they do. They kind of kept her. Uh, she doesn't. 
die. So, or is she already dead? Cause she's in the left. I don't know, but they basically keep her. And that's what she does all day. Every day is write down everybody's stories all day, every day. When they had magic, they were able to streamline it a lot faster. So they weren't relying on her to write each and every book. But now that there's no magic, it's up to her. And she's writing one book at a time. And she's kind of crazy. And she looks like Alice for some reason. And they don't explain why that is, but go with it. So Penny is like, you know, he's Penny. He's impatient and he wants an answer right now. And unfortunately he's got to read these pages that she's slowly writing out. And that's how we get the other stories that are thrown into the mix. But eventually after Penny reads all these stories, he figures out it's Benedict. Benedict still has the key. He didn't, they didn't get, ta- it didn't get taken from him. He probably did something with it. So he goes back to Benedict and he's like, look, we need that key. Blah, 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 blah. And he apologizes for kind of brushing him off. And he's even figured out a way for Benedict to kind of thrive being in the other world. He can work for the library, especially the map section, because they would love him for that. And Benedict is kind of happy with that, because that's really the only life he really wanted, was to make his maps and have some friends and be cool with it. So he's like, okay, so I'll tell you where the key is. Sounds great. Me and you can be friends. And he's like, sure. So <laughs> we get, he finally gets the key. And Penny's like, all right, I did my part. Um, I can't believe this is actually working. Sorry about everything that happened to you, Sylvia. Thanks for helping out. And Sylvia's like, yeah, I'm also sorry about this. And she takes the key from him and she drops it in the book shoot. He's like, well, what are you doing? And then librarians come and take him away. And she either, clearly she betrayed him. She let somebody know that he was back and he's got to fulfill the rest of that librarian contract clause where he works for them indefinitely forever until the end of time. And that's how it ends for Penny's short story. And then we move on into Poppy. Poppy story. You know what? When I first watched it, I was like, Poppy's a selfish brat. This is, oh, why Felicia Day? But then I went and watched it again. And I was like, no, you know what? I would, I, I get it. I get it. You can only control but so much. Might as well do what you're doing. Poppy. Uh, basically this is right after her and Quentin got down. She was trying to help distract him. It didn't work because he's Quentin. So he's still just, you know, overthinking everything that's happening, thinking about everything that could go wrong. And she's like, okay, well, I need a break from you. I'm a roll. She walks out into the hallway in just his shirt and meets up with Alice and knows that it's going to be kind of awkward. I don't know that she knows the whole history behind them, but she knows enough that it, this is kind of weird, but Alice is like, nah, it's, it's fine. I don't, I don't care what's happening to him right now. And they're talking about the plan that they've got going to go to the library and get this key. And Alice is like, you know, it's not going to work because you need a ridiculous amount of magic and magic does not exist right now. And they kind of go back and forth a little bit with Alice being like, well, I could help you, but I'm not going to. So later. And Poppy's like, well, all right. So she goes back and uh, lets everybody know that, uh, it could be crazy dangerous for Victoria to do anything. And Victoria's like, well, then I'm not going to do it. Victoria's a traveler that they found who's friends with Penny. And basically they need her to create some sort of bridge for them to get to the library. But after hearing everything that Alice explained or the, via Poppy, she's like, no, you figure out a way that it makes it safe for me and then I'll go. So then they must have figured out something because all of a sudden they are on the road again to go get this thing. And they're using Victoria's blood. They figured out how to make mirror bridges. They're gonna using Victoria's blood to get through. And she already, Poppy's kind of hesitant about how everything's going. Hey, this is taking a lot more blood than I thought she thought they were gonna need. Cause it's not like you do it once and it's gonna stay open. You have to keep doing it to keep it open. And who knows how long they're gonna be gone. So she's already kind of on edge about everything. They make it through the mirrors. They get into the library. They get down to the book shoot. It's not, the key's not there. The key's not there. The book's not ready. And she's like, all right, well, we tried. Let's call it a wrap. And she tries to leave. And Quentin's like, no, we got to stick around. And she proves a good point of like, look, maybe my role in this is to tell you when to cut and run. Like, we can't just dilly down here forever. There's a woman out there literally cutting herself to keep us, to keep access open for us. She's eventually going to run out of blood or consciousness or both. So we gotta, we gotta go. And Quentin's like, ah, okay. They start to make their way out and they run into Alice at the library. And they, and Quentin, of course, is like, what's happening? And Poppy's like, we don't have time for this. We gotta go. And Quentin's like, no, I gotta, I've gotta find out. So Poppy's like, whatever, I'm out and leaves. 
throws the deuces, gets back through the mirrors, uh, sees Victoria is like barely hanging on as is. Mine, it's been like maybe four or five minutes, and but but she's been cutting herself this whole time to keep these things open. So she's like, look, it's a wrap. I don't know if they're going to be able to figure it out or not, but I'm leaving. You should come with me, telling this to Victoria. And Victoria's like, I can't. I can't leave them trapped. If I leave, these are sealing up, and they're never getting out. And Poppy's like, well, I tried, and leaves. So <laughs> I, I don't blame her. I don't blame her in this instance because, A, they, they did it. nothing was working out the way they needed it to. Nothing was working out the way. And even though she would love for magic to come back, it is not life or death for her right now for that to work. And I definitely get not dying because you decided to idiotically stay behind for some whatever reason. Like, no, no, thank you. I'm out. So she makes the move to leave. And yeah, that's pretty much it for Poppy. And then we get, oh, we get my favorite story, which is Harriet. Harriet turns out in a fun twist is the librarian's daughter. So the main librarian that we keep seeing over and over again, which is a nice little blonde lady with glasses, we find out that she's actually her daughter. Apparently she was, she grew up in the library. She grew up in the library, reading all these wonderful things about what's happening in the outside world and just desperately wanted to get out. Wanted to experience the world for herself and see how everything was. And to the mother's detriment, she knew that this meant that eventually she was gonna lose her daughter because she's got very strong ideals and she's very anti the library. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's because she was forced to stay there for as long as she was. We don't know how long she stayed as a little girl in the library, but they made it seem like it was quite a while, like a long time. So we see her growing because she's been leaving the library and coming back and leaving and coming back. And every time she leaves, she's that much older. And we see her as a teenager when she first starts talking about how we need to open up the library to everybody. We need to make sure everyone has access to these books. And her mom being like, wait a second, we, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't trust people to handle this responsibly. There's no way they're going to. And we get Harriet being like, how would you know unless you, let, unless you try, unless you trust them and try. Oh, and it's a whole, it's a whole moral thing going back and forth. And I can't, I can't, on the one hand, I get what she means by making sure everybody has access to everything. But on the other hand, I also understand that in this particular world, humans with magic are assholes. Like they're, they're terrible. Like they're, they make crazy, terrible decisions. They're making terrible decisions with the limited magic they've already got. Could you imagine if they had full access to everything? It would be chaos. So I'm kind of on the library side of like, no, no, we are not doing that. You crazy. But because of that, you know, it's a matter of time before it is open to everybody, before it is then cyclically closed off again. Like that's, that's something that's going to keep happening. But we get Harriet, we get her full story. She runs back into her mother. And of course, nobody else knows that that's what this is. So that's why Harriet knows so much about the library except for us, the viewer, because we got her nice little backstory. She manages to get Katie free. She manages to get Katie to run back to leave out of the library while she faces off with her mom. And then she also tries to get out as well. She tries to run away. Um, and she almost makes it through the mirror, almost. But then a traveler shows up right as she makes it through the mirror. So he's not there in time to catch her and pull her out, but he is there in time to smash that mirror. And apparently that's how you break the mirror spell. So while this poor traveler Victoria is bleeding out to keep these open, this traveler Gavin comes through, smashes the mirror to pieces and that smashes it on both ends. So Harriet and Victoria are now trapped in whatever space and time that is. I don't know what that means as a consequence. I don't even know if we're going to get a follow-up as to what that means as a consequence. But we know it's not good. So uh, that's it for Harriet. It's so nice to know you. But it, now you're gone. Then we get Alice's little story. I don't understand why we're getting an Alice story. She seems to be kind of running in place. Her whole thing has been, I used to be a Niffin. I used to love, know everything there is to know about magic. And I just want to get back to that state again. Like that's... That's been her whole thing since she's come back uh, from being a Niffin. And we got that again. We got that again. Her latest attempt to try and get it done. She realizes 
belatedly that she could read her book. She could read her book and find out all this magic that she's missing. So she makes a deal with a traveler to get back into the library. Um, I for, she wants to trade information and I forget what it is. I, I think it's the information about the keys. I, I forgot. Honestly, I blacked it out because this Alice storyline is boring. All she does is betray people, feel bad about it, and then, and then kind of help them. A little bit. It's very reluctantly that she decides to help them. And I get that we're supposed to believe that this is not the Alice we met in season one. And I get that we're supposed to see her as this post-Niffin entity. But man, is it boring. Like, I don't, I don't care. I'm just, that's all I'm going to say about the Alice plot. Because it's not a whole lot. Outside of the very sassy Gavin that we got. Gavin is a traveler who I love. I wish he just added commentary to all of their brainchilds that they've got. All these plans that they have. It'd be awesome if he just shows up and just tells them that they're crazy all the time. But who knows? Who knows? That's pretty much it for, for Alice. Uh, then we got Elliot and Margot for a brief second. Apparently, after those villagers took him out of their carriage, they're now facing what I think is a trial. A, and they're talking to a wombat, apparently. And that's all we got from that. So... Here's hoping that Elliot figured out a way to smooth talk them out of whatever they're doing. Uh, and then we get the Fen and Julia storyline. Fen is still really not from the fact that she actually lost her baby. That this whole time, uh, Frey that they had, who she thought was her daughter, is not her daughter. That they actually lost their daughter at childbirth. So she's kind of dealing with that. And then um, she's talking with Julia. She happens to be in the house when... Uh, what's her face? Irene shows up. Irene McAllister shows up to get that favor from Julia. And she sees that there's a fairy next to her. And she's like, what is happening? Irene's body is eating itself. Like the, the flesh on her stomach, it looks like it is, like acid was poured on it. Like it's just going away. And she's like, I need you to, to solve this. That's the favor I want from you. And Julia's like, okay. Because I owe you the favor. That was part of our contract agreement. And Fen is like, why is there a fairy next to her? And they get into this whole discussion about what the fairies did to her and what she hopes can happen to the fairies afterwards. And that she sees this fairy next to Irene and Julia's like, I wonder why that is or why she was so quiet or why she was so subservient. And Fen is like, who cares? Like the fairy <laughs> fairies, I don't care. And Julia's like, well, if she's treating them like a slave, that's terrible. And she's like, why? And Fen's like, why? And Julia's basically like, cause slavery is terrible. Why? What? Really? We needed that as as part of the part, plot line? Slavery is terrible? Thank you, Julia. Thank you for being there. I understand what you're trying to do with this because it ties into the later part of their discovery. But it was just like, word? You had to tell her slavery was bad? All right. Anyway, so the later part of the story is that uh, Julia's like, well, clearly I'm only getting half the story from Irene. I still got to do this favor for her. But let's find out what else is going on in that house. She gets Fen to come with her. Fen starts talking to the fairy while Julia is trying to fix her. And she finds out that A, this fairy is a servant to Irene. And B, doesn't know that there's other fairies right now. And C, kind of hints that there's more of them that are serving Irene for some reason. So they're like, they're just a lot more questions kind of pop up. So they leave after doing the thing. They come back to like sneak and talk to the fairy again. When they make their way back, this poor fairy has had a limb chopped off. And when Julia investigates it a little bit more, she sees like a residue of powder. It looks like they chopped off a limb and ground it and made it into this magic powder that they've been using throughout the show. So this little vial Julia used uh, in order to try and face off against Alice when Alice had all of her goddess power. And we saw it again uh, in a suitcase at the library that Katie and Harriet were looking at when they were trying to find the key for this thing. They came across a huge suitcase of the stuff that Harriet was trying to leave with so she could do magic again and got trapped in that Maryland. So we know that the powder gives whoever absorbs it into, snorts it into their body, magical ability. But apparently it comes at a huge cost. And that is what Irene was dealing with, which like with her body like decaying in front of her face. So clearly they've got magical creatures that they are grinding up to in order to keep doing this magic. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Julia and everything and see if, if there anything actually happens in the outcome of this. 
I'm interested to see where that goes, but who knows with the show? Who knows? I'm just glad we got a lot more movement. So hopefully we get another episode next week and we get a little, we find out what's happening to everybody. We find out what ha- what's happening to Penny. We find out if Alice makes it out of the library. We find out, we find out uh, the rest of the key quests happening between Quentin, Katie, and Poppy. And, or if that's going to get stopped now that Alice is in the library telling them about this key quest. Uh, and, and what's going to happen to Elliot and Marco? Like, more questions. Hopefully we get answers. And I'll be doing a roundup right after this. All right. So this is the, the roundup that I do at the very end. Just kind of going over everything we just talked about, basically, with Legends and Ray's idiocy. And then we talked about The Flash and how we got a really forced love story that kind of was cute, though, with Digby and Izzy and DeVoe still getting the upper hand against Team Flash. We also talked about Black Lightning and how it's doing wonderful things out there. And we finally have the truth out in the open now with Anissa's powers and, and what Jefferson's reaction to that was and how she now knows that Jefferson is Black Lightning. And then we also talked about the magicians and just all of the craziness that is happening over there with the literal fairy dust that they discovered. And, and yeah, just a lot of things happening right now. That's really all the Geek TV I'm really watching too right now. I don't watch Arrow. There's a lot of movies that are about to drop. I'm very excited to uh, see Ready Player One, which is coming out later in March. I read that at the... I, well, okay, so I knew they were making the movie because I was seeing the, the trailers for it everywhere, but I hadn't read the book. And I kind of put it out there on my Instagram, like, has anybody read this book? Is it worth reading before this movie comes out? Uh, shout out to a, to Real Geek Guide, if he's watching, if he's listening to this, hopefully. Uh, but he was like, yes, I've read the book and it's amazing. You should definitely check it out. And so I did. I ended up getting the audio version of it and it was read by the love of my life, Will Wheaton. Shout out to Wesley Crushers out there. My fellow Wesley Crushers, he's the he's the narrator for this audiobook, which made it 110% even better than I thought it was going to be. The book is really good. It's actually really, really good. It also kind of touches on a lot of subjects I did not expect it to touch on. So I'm interested to see what's going to translate over into this film and what's not going to translate into this film. So excited for that. That's definitely happening. Uh, I'm still on my Asian drama kick. I originally watched a Taiwanese drama called Attention Love that I finished. I finished the whole series. It was a pretty quick watch. It does drag in some places like normally does. Uh, it basically is, if, what I think it is, is a spinoff from Playful Kiss. If you know what Playful Kiss is, uh, it's a Japanese manga. I want to say it's it's a Nora Kiss. I want to say that's how you say it. I don't know. But um, it's also had a a bunch of adaptations. There is a Mischievous Kiss in Tokyo. That's the latest version. And then we had It Started With a Kiss. That was the one uh, that's from Taiwan. That was an idol drama from Taiwan that was amazing and is one of my favorite adaptations of this manga for all time. Ariel Lin's in it. And it's just, it's just amazing. It's great. There's that one. They even did a sequel that was just as good. Uh, there was a Korean version. They did a literal translation of Playful Kiss. That was also pretty decent. And I felt like Attention Love kind of played, it felt like it was a modern adaptation of that story because we still had the two leads. We, um, but they established pretty early that these two are meant to be together. But you still have the guy who's a little standoffish and brainy and stoic. And then you've got the girl who's a lot more warm, not as, it's not as book smart as, as the male lead. But in this version, she's very confident and very, very confident in her like physical prowess as well. Like she can kick people's butts. Like she's really good <laughs> at taking care of herself when it comes to the doubt that she faces. Most of that is like the doubt that we all face socially. Like, am I pretty enough? You know, are these people gonna like me? And she, you know, she kind of gets ostracized a little bit here and there by mean girl groups for some reason. For the story, for the story, why not? But it was it was cute. It was real lovely to watch. If you have access to Vicky or any of the other fun Asian streaming drama apps, see if they've got attention love. It was really cute to watch. Definitely check it out if you can. I'm currently on the hunt for another episode or another series to watch. So I'll keep you posted if I find something good. I'm also uh, reading manga. As always, I picked up a book called Red River. There's a Red River series 
That is confusing. It's an older series, apparently. It came out, I want to say the 90s, based on the drawings that I'm looking at. But it's, it's about a girl who, right after she gets her first kiss and her first boyfriend gets sucked into time. Like, she goes back into, like, like the Bronze Age for some reason. And she finds herself in the Middle East, in, like, the middle of, like, a warring season. And there's magic. And there's magic. People have full control over elements like wind and water and probably earth and fire. I'm sure. I'm sure that's going to happen. But there's also, like, people being murdered and people trying to murder her. It's a very interesting book. I'm hoping I can finish the series. I am doing all of this through my local library, so I've got to wait for these books to become available. And my library is doing interesting things right now. So we'll see. We'll see how everything goes. Hopefully I can finish this series. If not, I will just suck it up and purchase the series. I will, ju I will just suck it up because it's really interesting. And now I want to know what else is happening. And yeah, and that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it that I'm doing. So as always, I'm Joe. You can catch me at curvygeekyfangirl.com. I do my everything on that thing. I'm over there on Instagram. I'm over there on Twitter. And I'm also doing a podcast with my friend Shay Cherie of Shay Cherie's Show. And that is the POC Podcast. We also have a website for that. That's the POCpodcast.com. We also put out episodes every Monday as well. So you can look out for that on iTunes and hopefully a bunch of other places right now. And that is pretty much it. So that's going to wrap it up for Curvy Geeky Fangirl Recaps for this week. Please tune in next week for whatever else is going down. And as always, please let me know how you're feeling about these shows yourself. If you guys have comments, if you got questions, or if you just want to talk about something, I'm accessible. You can reach me on all of those socials, through iTunes, wherever. I'm out there, Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I will catch you guys later. Bye. I'm not afraid of